stay plugged in because this is a very current issue in our society. And you may not be uh, headed for a divorce, but a good friend of yours might be, right? And they'll call you on the phone and they want to know, hey, what, 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 how can I handle this? What should I do? Well, let's look at God's word and allow him to teach us. Uh, the Lord Almighty has created us. This is the perspective of the word of God. This is the true perspective, the world and life view, and that is that we don't live in a world where things developed by freakish mutations that happen to be amazing. Uh, actually, Torstein and I, my son, were talking about blood vessels this week, like thinking about your aorta, for example. It's a major vessel, you know? It's a kind of a radiator hose that's super important to us. <laughs> you can't live for uh, 30 seconds without it. And it's, it's, I'm not an expert on it, but I know at least this much. It has at least two layers. It has an outer layer and an inner layer. And you hit, run into big problems if a little little crack develops in the inner layer and blood gets through to the outer layer, that, that can be disastrous. It can create an aneurysm or worse. Uh, and and Torstein made the crack. Isn't it amazing how evolution came up with that idea? <laughs> you know? Imagine the generations of, of adults, the humans, I mean humans, with, with just the single layer aorta. And then you know, evolution kept saying, you know, there's something, we could improve this. Let's make it a double. Let's put an inner tube in there. <laughs> no, no, you know, there's so many impossibilities uh, in, in evolution. It just couldn't happen that way. It's, it shows design, every single, you know, this little cell I just flicked off there is impossibly complex and wonderfully made. Now, that applies to human relationships as well, that God designed them for a very specific purpose. Evolution didn't come up with marriage. Uh, human beings were made, the very first human beings, Adam and Eve, were made to be married. They were literally made for each other. And this is God's original intention uh, for everything. Uh, it, it, marriage is the foundation of all society. It's the original relationship, the first relationship uh, of all human beings, Adam and Eve. And uh, it's not a product of, of cultural development. It's not a product of evolution. And uh, therefore, it's, it's, and of course, the other big reality that we'll be talking about some, but it's always there. We have to always talk about it. And that is, that God's original creation is, is cursed. It's thoroughly broken by God's action. He cursed it. It was a perfectly good creation. And he, uh, this sounds a little crude, and I don't mean to be like edgy with this, but essentially he broke it. He cursed it. Why? Because Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God. A, a result of their sin was the curse. He said, okay, now the, the ground is your enemy. Now your relationship is really toxic. You, you know, uh, you, the, what does it say? The wife will desire her husband and he will rule over her. There's this conflict uh, put into the very uh, basic relationship, the foundation of society, the foundation of the church, the foundation of the state has a relationship that's challenging and difficult. Um, and so that's a huge reality. And some will argue that, look, look, this is the way things are. You know, a, a psychologist, maybe a, let's say a secular psychologist, an atheistic psychologist or psychiatrist will study human beings and say, look at this behavior. Men cheat on their wives. Women fall in love with other men. And... This whole thing of marriage is just a bad idea because it goes against our nature. And we're trying to force human beings into something that's unnatural. It's probably created for an economic reason. Um, that's kind of the reasoning of those that deny the, the Holy Scripture. Uh, so we come back and say, let's look at God's original intent and let's, let us pray for strength 
to respect it, to understand it, and to live by it. All the time knowing also that God is gracious and forgiving. He forgives sins. And that one song we sang, Holy, 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 does it say, Holy, 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 am I? I'm perfect in holiness? No. We are, we are all sinners. We, we are all prone to blow it. Uh, and he is ready to forgive the broken and the contrite heart. He forgives. And so there's forgiveness here through the grace of God, the mercy of God, the water that falls down, the rain from heaven, uh, the mercy of God. It's like a cool summer rain. So let us read the scripture. Let me read it straight through without comment, and then I'll make a couple of comments on it as God gives me ability of time. Again, the Holy Word of God today is authored by John Mark, who was the protege, protege of Peter, and he was, uh, his resume was rejected by Paul uh, on a second journey. And yet he turned to Peter and was used in a great way. He's just got a story of rehab and redemption. And God used him to write this uh, scripture for us. Today is chapter 10 on the 10th and 1 through 12. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, he as was his custom, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife?" He answered them, "What did Moses command you?" They said, "Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away." And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Lord, add his blessing to the reading of his word, and let me also pray. Father, in your grace, as you send the rain and now the beautiful sunshine, would you please uh, work in us to hear your word today, supply what we need, nourish us all wherever we are. And we thank you so much for your loving grace and forgiveness and kindness and also for your word that teaches us. Lord, we pray that we would grow in an increasing way to understand and apply and live your word in this this broken and dark generation that is so, so used to ignoring all of you. They think it's all just a big fable, a myth, a fairy tale. And, oh, Father, so give us wisdom as we live in this world. Through your word, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's just work through the passage, uh, and then, like I usually do, do some some, uh, teaching from it. First of all, uh, it is interesting that Mark starts out with this, and he left there and went to the region of Judea. This is quite significant in the book of Mark. Up until now, almost exclusively, he's been up north. He's been up in Galilee, kind of traveling all over up there. Um, I mean, Mark records several times he crosses the Sea of Galilee, back and forth, forth and back. And he was a man that did not have much sedentary time. 
Uh, he, he was uh, on a mission. He had three years uh, of public ministry, and he, he kept moving. You know, it said he didn't have a place to lay his head. He wasn't well known to be like, you're one of the permanent people. We want you to be here in Capernaum forever. No, he was a rolling stone, <laughs> you know. You know, that's, what, that's the way Mark presents it. He had to go. He had to go. But now this is actually really significant because he's going down south to, of course, when you see Judea, you should think of what major city? Jerusalem. Exactly. He's, and what's going to happen in Jerusalem? Yeah, he's going to be crucified. So he's going down in obedience to his father uh, to bear the sins of the world on Golgotha, the place of the skull. That's where he's going. And so it's significant in Mark. We're gonna, it doesn't matter too much for our text today, but it is interesting to note. And also, I just, I just love it how even down in Judea, where he hasn't spent a lot of time, his fame has spread. They know him there. And the crowds gathered to him again. Notice that again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Uh, Jesus was a teacher. And he's teaching them. In, in, he did teaching in large crowds. He did, apparently, as far as we can tell, he did monologues. And then he would do dialogues in small groups as well interaction with people. And that's what happens. The big, uh, the big setting, the big um, venue turns into a real small one. Uh, maybe we can imagine during break time when he said, hey, let's all get a cup of coffee, um, the Pharisees come up to him. Pharisees are already his avowed enemies. They've decided after, literally a couple of years ago by now that Jesus has to go. Something must be done about it. So they, they're planning to, they're plotting, the Bible says, to kill him. And so they come up, see verse 2, uh, in order to test him. Uh, a lot of people ask questions with sincerity. Now, I have a sincere question, and it can be whatever. But some people are asking questions out of insincerity. Uh, and that's, in other words, they didn't really care. Uh, like, oh, could you please help us understand this issue? They're trying to get him in some sort of trouble because there was a big division in the Pharisees about divorce. Uh, there was the loose guys who said, they literally said things like, a man can divorce his wife for any reason at all. So let's say she burns your breakfast. You can literally get a piece of paper and evict her from your house for such simple things like that. And there were other guys, there were other folks, other school of thought were much more conservative and they said, no, 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 we, we must be very cautious about divorce. And so they're, they're interested to see how Jesus will respond to this. Um, and again, this is not in my sermon necessarily, but th there's something awesome here because one of the things that our enemies always accuse us of is that the Bible is misogynistic, which means the Bible hates ladies, hates women, and that Christianity is an anti-women thing. And in all reality, that's just not true. Uh, the truth is, those who, yes, and by the way, we have to acknowledge that there were a lot of, there are a lot of misogynistic women haters who use the Bible as justification uh, for their lifestyle. Yes, unfortunately. But when you truly, honestly come to the Word of God, you find out actually what Jesus is teaching is very protective and helpful for ladies. He's going to say right out that it is, it is wrong for a man to divorce his wife. It, he's, he's committing a sin to do that. But he, Jesus is also, interestingly enough, I think, also willing to say it's wrong for a wife to, to divorce the husband, right? That's what he says at the end. If she divorces her husband. And for the Pharisees, what? <laughs> a woman could never divorce me. No, I can divorce her, but she can't divorce me. Uh, that you know, so they're uh, not friendly toward the female, and Jesus is much more friendly. And also, I would just throw out an unsubstantiated argument, but it is verifiable, and that is that if you look at true Christianity, it has 
It has treated women well. It has changed culture to honor the wife and to to, uh, protect her and help her and also give her a significant role uh, and to count her as significant in, in a marriage. Okay, again, that's not really my sermon. I think it's a valid observation as we're reading through the text. So uh, they're, they're trying to trick him, and Jesus does definitely side with the very conservative side, even stronger than them, because he will say, obviously, no, no divorce at all. Now, honestly, uh, I think it's really significant that Mark leaves it there. Uh, Mark doesn't act like there's any exceptions whatsoever to to uh, Christian marriage and divorce. His answer is no divorce, period. Boom. Now, uh, as we read the uh, entire scripture, and again, I'll demonstrate this in a little while, uh, there are some significant uh, exceptions to that rule, but it is significant. And, and you know, mind us of the, the, the emphasis of God's Holy Spirit here is that we shouldn't be light and easy on divorce. This passage obviously, clearly says divorce should be a last option. Uh, I mean, it doesn't even say that, but in the context of the word, we know that divorce should be the last option. I, I, I have the privilege of visiting folks at the hospital, you know, and I was on call this week, and I went in and visited a man in his 70s, and the doctors had cut off his leg. I mean, that's a horrible thing. They cut off his leg. Isn't this 2019? Haven't we advanced in medical science? Well, yes, indeed we have. But you know what? They don't do that lightly either. You know, it's like, well, you've got a serious hangnail there, sir. Uh, we can just do a below-the-knee uh, amputation and have this thing done with, and you can go on, and we'll get you a prosthesis, and you'll be up playing golf within two weeks. <laughs> I'm, I'm being a little flippant, but just face this reality. No, it's, it's the last option. And even for this guy, he'd been nursing along the leg for like years, it's been, you know the issue started many years ago, and yes, 2019, we have some amazing technologies and medications to heal wounds, and we do pretty good at it, or pretty well, I guess would be the proper English. Uh, but sometimes, sorry to say, sir, we have to take your leg off. So I, I think that is more of an illustration of God's point of view about uh, divorce. Okay. Uh, and uh, So then he, he builds an argument through verse 5 and 6. Uh, first he talks about hardness. Again, we'll come back to that. Then he talks about the creation mandate and uh, lots of wonderful information there. And then he wraps it up. Uh, the the men go afterwards. They go to a uh, what does it say here? It says uh, and in the house. That's eh, interesting, you know. Okay, they're down in Judea somewhere, and they they have a house. I don't know, Airbnb. Uh, <laughs> probably not Airbnb, but uh, they a relative or a friend or somebody's from that area, and they have a house, and they're all alone, and they come to Jesus and say, you know, Jesus. It, Tell us about this again. I mean, I think they're thinking, whoa, this is really harsh. Uh, another time they'll say, Mel, it's better just not to get married then, apparently. Uh, this is so harsh. And, and again, in Mark, through the mouth of Jesus, there's no wiggle room, right? Verses 11 and 12, he says, whoever. Now, the Bible's real strong on no partiality. No partiality. You don't keep the law of God with partiality, meaning, well, you know what? We really like that guy. You know, he's really nice. He's very popular, and he's influential, and by the way, he's giving lots of money. It's probably okay for him to get divorced, but this, uh, you know, weak guy over here who, you know, semi-unemployed, blah, 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 whatever. You get the point. 
don't show partiality when we uh, obey the word. Um, we do it without partiality. And, and that's why he says, whoever, whoever, I don't care who you are, uh, if you divorce your wife and you, and you marry another. See, by the way, he's not saying it's wrong to divorce, right? He says it's wrong to divorce and marry another. A lot of times the divorce is actually motivated by the desire to be remarried, right? Uh, and he's, he's saying, I'm calling that out. You know? You, you like the prosthesis better than your actual leg. And that's why you want to cut it off. Absurd reality, but that's how warped this thinking is, I think, from Jesus' point of view. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Okay, so I just want to go through this text now for a little outline of, of where we are. So his, the first thing Jesus goes to on why no divorce is in, in the words of Scripture. And, and from the beginning of creation, original intent, God made them male and female. It's, we're two parts to a whole. I mean, I think the logic is sort of simple here. He's saying uh, God made us to be two parts to a whole. We're made for each other. Of course, this has lots of implications for the whole argument about transgender and that sort of thing. Again, not what I'm really desiring to talk about a great deal. But originally in creation, male and female, that was it. And by the way, because of our sin and the curse on our sin, we are all genetically inclined to rebel against God in one way or the other. Now, just because I have a genetic tendency to fill in the blank, drink, or lust after women, or I, I have a hidden lust for the same sex, I can, you know, I can demonstrate it genetically. I'm, I'm inclined that way. So what, what does the world say? Well, in a secular, atheistic, evolutionary point of view, you say, well, that's who you are. Just, you just be natural, be who you are. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. That's the broken part of us. The part that rebels against God is a part of our sin nature. So go back to the original intent, and he made male and female. Now again, yeah, we don't want to go into it much more. Let's just leave it at that. He's saying the two, there's two parts to a whole. You, you shouldn't separate it. You're made for each other. And I think this is actually so in, incredibly important. I say it at many, many weddings I do, almost all, but not all. Um, I look at the bride, and I look at the groom, and I say, you have to believe that God made you for each other. You're not here by some accidental process. God made you for each other, and he wants you to recognize that and stay in the marriage. So that's one argument. The second is this beautiful um, thing that Jesus says, uh, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. You know, my own personal testimony on that, to me, it always rings clear, the holding fast, uh, because I've got a really brilliant wife, and, she, you know, she can outrun me intellectually. She runs circles around me intellectually, <laughs> and i got to hold on to her. You know, it's like she's, uh, i got to stay with this thing. i gotta, I got to hang in. i got to keep applying myself and hang with the relationship and work at it, because... I'm, I'm lazy. I'm just going to withdraw, you know, and, and leave it alone. And, and God says, no, 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 no. You hold fast to her. You, you, you got a, you know, a kite by the tail, but you hold on to that tail. Don't let it get away. Uh, you're not supposed to just release your grip because you're lazy. Because you know what it is. Marriage will show us all of our personal need to grow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's hard. You know what the Bible says? I'm broken, I'm sinful, and what God says is I have to die to myself. I have to be crucified with Christ daily. Is, tell me, is crucifixion designed to be painless? 
No, no. It's the most, you know, it's, uh, it's the worst pain uh, possible. Uh, and, and, and that's the, that's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, I don't want to say metaphor. It's the uh, analogy. It's the picture. It's the process of growing spiritually. And uh, that happens in marriage a lot. Uh, you know, why am I divorcing? Because it's just too hard. It's just too hard. This marriage is asking me to grow, and I, I'm, I'm just not capable of it. Fine. You know, God is capable. You know, let's work on this together. Let's not, all, let's not keep it in secret either. Let's get some help. Let's grow together. Uh, so, so important. Uh, so this is beautiful. The, in the King James, it used to be leave and cleave. You know, cleave, cleave in the old English was hold on tight. It also means to split like a piece of wood, but uh, one of those funny words. It means to hold on tightly, and that's the sense here. You, you leave your father and mother, and kind of the idea there is actually it's a whole new family. When you get married, you're, you created a whole new unit, this foundation of, the, of society, this foundation of the church, this foundation of, of all human relationships, and if you crack it up, you're messing up. A lot is built on this foundation. You, you hang in there, Jesus says. Divorce destabilizes culture. It destabilizes church. It destabilizes national government, local government. Any, any, it destabilizes Virginia. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Come on, that's a, you know, if you follow the news at all, Virginia's in deep doo-doo over some uh, abortion, uh, not abortion, well, that has a process too, but I, mean, I was meant to say adultery and that sort of thing. Anyway, destabilization. Uh, so, uh, so two arguments so far. You're two parts to a whole, male and female. That's the way it's intended by God. Secondly, leave and cleave. You've created a whole new family. You work on this thing. There's nothing more important. Well, no, wait a minute. I've got a hobby, you know. My hobby's really important to me, and this crazy marriage is distracting me from my hobby. <laughs> God forbid, right? Um, okay, back to the text. Um, God made them male and female. Leave and cleave, and the two shall become one flesh. And, you know, this is pretty obvious, too. The two are joined together. They are a whole new entity. We have uh, two parts to a whole. A whole new home is created. Now, a whole new entity. The two have become one. And Jesus is saying, you can't rip that apart. You may not. As I was preparing that, I, I, I played with that. I realized, I, I wrote a sentence. You cannot do this. And I said, no, no, that's not true. You can do it. The issue is you may not. I can lust after another woman. I can have affections for another woman. I can develop a whole relationship with another. I can. You know, I have that ability. I, you know, kind of wish I didn't, but I, I do, right? But the word, the, the message is, I may not. I may not do this. We're called to stand up and be followers of Jesus and, and submit to his will. A whole new entity is created. And the idea is, you know, don't, don't trash, trash. Don't you think those bears are cute? I thought I'd get a little awe or something. I, I know, the, the, uh, the subject matter is rather intense. But, but the bears are cute. <laughs> that's uh, that's, uh, that's uh, University of California and UCLA getting together. for. They're both the bears, you know, but the Bruins and the bears. Anyway, it's nothing to do with that. <laughs> okay, let us look further at, at the text. Um, Verse 9 is gorgeous and ought to be a part of weddings, and it often is. It should be. What God, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And just the idea is wait a minute, God put you together. That's why you don't divorce. You didn't do this. God 
joined you together, and you don't have the right to, to break it apart. What God is calling you to is work. Make it work. Don't quit. Yes, you've been having really noisy arguments for a long time, but get some help. Work through this thing. God says, don't quit. Hold tight. Uh, that's Divorce is eviction. I can't stand you anymore. You're evicted. And, and God is saying, no, don't do it. It is, a, it is a holy union that he has made. It's holy. God did it. Marriage is sacred. He has a sacred purpose in marriage. All right, now let's go back. So that, that's, the, that's the thrust of Mark. Uh, but there is a hardness clause, isn't there? Uh, in, even in this text, uh, he says, because of the hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this command. There is this reality of, I think uh, the word is intractability. That means a problem that just, you just can't solve it. It's, it's intractable. It, it's beyond our ability. We've tried to deal with it. We've tried to deal with it. We've tried to deal with it. And unfortunately, sir, we're going to have to amputate your leg. This does happen. Why? It's for your healing, really. Because that leg is turned against you. And if you keep it, the rest of your body will die uh, within a few months. So there's this reality of hardness and incalcitrant, people who will not change, who will not listen, who give up and quit. There's definitely this reality. And it's because of our, because of our brokenness. We're, we are, we're inherently broken. You know, sorry, mind closed until further notice. <laughs> Forget it. I'm not, I'm out. <laughs> closed. Not, not listening. Not open to reason. I'm not going to sit down with a counselor. And also, by the way, this probably is so like predictable that I'll say this, but it's still so true. Uh, you know, marriage, divorce happens at the very smallest levels. It starts as a little tiny trickle, right? You start to have some problems, and then somebody's somebody's sleeping on the sofa, and then it goes on and on and on, and then like not too long, maybe six months down the road, then you know what? Then they call the pastor. Pastor, we need to talk to you. And they come in. We've already decided to split up. This has happened to me. A, a couple I married on this stage. Uh, you know, way too late. Why? Well, we're embarrassed. No, don't be embarrassed. Don't have a closed mind. We often want what we may not have. Remember, I wrote that originally. We often want what we cannot have. And I realized, no, it's the issue of may not. Our, our, our sin and rebellion, it, it, we're inherently wanting what we may not have. You know, I, I have a problem with eating. You didn't notice. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I, I, I literally, and I'm struggling with it, like I'll have one helping of this delicious homemade food, and I... I I want another helping. And then I want another helping. And I've suddenly gone with a reasonable to an unreasonable amount. I'm, you know, storing up for a rainy day. It's a reservoir. It's unhealthy and not right. But, you know, we're broken. We're rebels. And, and so don't just, uh, don't listen to Disney, you know. Follow your heart. No. How about calling your friend? Bad idea. Particularly if your friends can say, "Oh, come on now, you deserve better than that." You know, you 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 should you, you just take a break. Come with me. Uh, second line I put on here: We are often too proud to admit we are wrong, and we are often too hurt to forgive. These aren't easy issues, but God really calls us to forgive. He really calls us to be humble and admit we're wrong. Uh, and, and that's what it's going to take to fix a marriage. Let me take a look at my notes here. Okay. Yeah, this... Okay. So, oh, well, this is what I was going to say. There, the, <laughs> sorry. 
the Bible does present, because of this reality, because of the hardness of heart, because of closed minds, because of intractability, in other words, a person just will not, will not, over a significant amount of time, like 37 minutes, no. <laughs> no, 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 we're talking of, uh, you know, a significant amount of time, months of trying to woo and bring back and, and work on, on, on forgiveness and repentance, which means to change your mind about what you're doing. Uh, and then the person will not, will not. So there's two biblical reasons, and I'm not going to go into it, but one is, one is taught in this same context of Mark. It's in Matthew. Matthew's version of it includes, if we can turn there real quick. We're not that low on time. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Very significant, very important. Matthew chapter 19. And it's, it's, you can see it's actually in the same exact context. It's the same story. And, and that, honestly, that, I think it's interesting that Mark leaves it out. Why? Because the emphasis is there that divorce is to be avoided as much as we can. But you go down in verse 9 in the same context of Matthew 19, and Jesus says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Okay, so what this is saying again, once again, it, he's not saying that it's, it's 100% wrong to divorce. In this text, he's saying it's wrong to divorce and marry another, unless the marriage was broken up because of, and I want to put some adjectives in there, like uh, unrepented, you know, intractable, but he says, except for sexual immorality. One of the partners in the family has broken the bond, has not lived like male and female with these two parts make a whole, has not left and held fast, you know, hasn't followed, and has broken the marriage through uh, being with someone else in an intimate way. And so Jesus says, in that case, the marriage is actually broken, and you may remarry. That's what this says. You may remarry in that case. You're free. And the other is uh, what sometimes is called abandonment, the other reason. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 7, real quickly, if you could turn there if you want to. You probably already know some of this. First. Corinthians chapter 7, there's actually a lot in here um, uh, on marriage. Let's see. I'll just get right to sort of the punchline uh, of it. Verse 15, 715. But if the unbelieving partner separates, so this is a person who has, is an unbeliever, and are committed to acting like an unbeliever, not submitting to God in any way. If that if that unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. You know, you, you can't hold on to their ankle forever at the door. You've got to let them go. And in such cases, the brother or sister, again, that's a feminist, pro-feminist tinge on this text. Uh, not anti anti woman at all. It's it's cut in both ways. No partiality here. Uh, in in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. So this this massive teaching that there is no divorce has two exceptions. One is adultery or just abandonment. If they if they've left and they're not coming back, uh, then you're not enslaved. You're not bound and. We really believe that that means you're free to remarry uh, in that case. I did a, a little bit of research, and actually, actually one of my commentaries pointed this out. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, that's why I show you today in the fine print, right? <laughs> I'll read it for you. This is cool because it comes from a hefty uh, church history. It's the Anglicans uh, got together at the Westminster, Westminster Abbey, etc., and they made the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, most fundamental 
Presbyterians uh, accept this today, and we have a great respect for it. It's from 1646. 1646. That's a few years ago. And this is actually from chapter 24. It's a little bit in their chapter on marriage and divorce. It says, In the case of adultery after marriage, it is lawful for the innocent party to sue out a divorce and, after the divorce, to marry another as if the offending party were dead. You're saying it's the same moral equivalent. You don't have to be tied to that marriage. That person is living in adultery according to... And they had references on this. You know, they're, they're referring back to Matthew 19. And then the next one is... And I love the language on this. Uh, I would highly recommend you read it again. Although the corruption of man be such as is apt to study arguments unduly to put asunder those whom God has joined together in marriage. What is he saying there? They're saying, you know what our tendency is? To look for ways to get a divorce and work hard on it. Uh, We're apt to study arguments unduly to put asunder those whom God has joined together in marriage. Yet, nothing but adultery or such willful desertion as can no way be remedied, and look at this cool remedy, by the church, the church should be involved in trying to remedy the abandonment, the desertion, going after the lady, trying to compel her to come back to the the marriage, or going after the man, trying to compel him back, uh, remedied by the church or civil magistrate. You can get the law involved with this. Okay, so this is cause sufficient of dissolving the bond of marriage, wherein, this is also well thought out, wherein a public and orderly course of proceeding is to be observed, and the persons concerned in it not left to their own wills and discretion in their own case. So they're saying, you shouldn't do this in your closet all alone. We're, we're, We're impossibly biased. You know, bring in the elders of the church. Help them work through this. I mean, let them help you work through this issue in a, in a public way. Meaning, it's not closed session. It's not in the dark. We're doing this openly, publicly. We're working through this. We've determined that your spouse has deserted you. We've been involved with the effort to try to win them back. They're, they are incalcitrant. They are unwilling to change. They're stubborn, mind-closed until further notice. Hard heart. And it's saying, in that case, we can dissolve the bond of marriage. So I say to those who wrote this, amen, I think you're right. Aren't you happy that I said that? They're all very happy too. (laughs) Okay, my last slide of the day is just summing it all up. These these are the implications, implications. Or you could say, so what? And how does this fit me? Well, first of all, obviously, the first one is do not sue for a divorce. Our, our society is super quick about that. You know, thank God we're not super quick about cutting legs off, uh, but we should be more reticent about divorce. Instead, we think it's a solution. And the Bible is saying it actually is miserable. You're going to be hurting yourself because the two have become one, and it's a surgery without anesthesia. And don't look for the, to the family courts to solve your problems. It's, a, it's like you know a hammer and a chisel on a piece of glass. It's, I, I speak from experience. Not to dis, disrespect our court system. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's just better to keep it together than to go to that level. Okay, that's just my opinion. I think it's biblical, though. Secondly, uh, maintain your marriage. Maintain it. If divorce is unacceptable and is similar to uh, getting a, a, a leg amputated, then we should do all we can do, you know, to avoid that. And you know, if you're a diabetic, you got to get a hold of your blood blood sugar. You got to stay on your meds. You got to follow your medicine. If you if you have blood, high blood pressure, do something about it. You know. Uh, change your lifestyle. Don't eat so much. Uh, maintain your marriage. And uh, this is through communication, 
Communicate. Whoa, look at that. Two for the price of one. There you go. Uh, communicate. Simple, simple idea. Work at communicating. The worst thing you can do in a marriage is quit talking. This is the, you know, this is the trickle. This is the beginning of the flood. If you're not talking, you have to do the work. Listen, brother, I know. My wife will say, I need to talk to you. Now, I think I'm probably the only guy in the world that has this reaction like, oh, no. <laughs> no, this is the worst thing ever, you know. <laughs> you you want to do what? You want to pull one of my front teeth out? You know, you, you want to jab me with a sharp instrument? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I'm a wimp, you know. But, but I found, right, over and over and over again that the best response is, Yes, sweetie, let's do it now. Or can we, when should we do this? Let's talk. And almost all the time, it's like some simple thing like, I want to apply for a new credit card. Oh, okay. Whew, that was easy. <laughs> uh, don't talk. Communicate. Communicate. And the, the second thing here is work on loving each other. It's a, a real basic idea, but honestly, it doesn't, you know, like, oh, we're so in love, you know. You have to be committed to it. This is your wife. This is your husband. You know what? When a couple comes up here to get married, anybody here want to get married today? I'm all ready. Do you have a license? <laughs> the first thing I'm going to say, basically I'm going to say, are you sure you know what you're getting into? It's called the Declaration of Consent. I'm going to say, listen, are you're going to take this man <laughs> to be your husband? To live together in the covenant of marriage? You know, for sickness and in health and rich or poor, all this stuff. You're going to take this guy as he is or as you hope you can change him to be? <laughs> right? <laughs> no, see, that's the declaration of consent. You're, you're consenting to marry this person. And you are consenting to work to learn how to love this person. Don't focus on what irritates you. Focus on what you can love and learn to love what irritates you and realize that that's probably his strength. That's probably her actual strength. She's really good at this. Maybe that's why it irritates me. I don't know. Anyway, work on loving each other. Um, thirdly, this is, this is super serious right here. <laughs> One click. Listen, dear friends, you heard the pastor say, go home and have sex. You heard the pastor say that. Practice physical intimacy. You know, from the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 7, it says it is sinful not to be sexually active. You understand that? So many Christian marriages, they'll come to me. We haven't had sex in eight years. Wow. I mean, I, I mean I'm sorry. That's sin. You work on it. You'll say, well, you know what? I don't enjoy it. Excuse me? Did I hear you say it's all about you? You work on pleasing the, your partner. That's what sex is. And, and by the way, it's incredibly pleasurable eventually. But you work on her or him. That's your role. Uh, her body belongs to you, the Word of God says. And so you learn to love her and you, you practice physical intimacy. Uh, that's, that's, that's the lesson there. Probably enough said, huh? I have no graphics here. <laughs> and, and here, I only have four, four points. This is the third of the four of implications. Do not encourage others toward a quick divorce, right? Somebody calls you, they're having problems, and they're thinking about divorce. You know, don't be the person that nudges them on toward. You know, go to Mark 10. You heard it on February the 10th. And it's saying no divorce. Huge. And in the fine print over here, yes, sometimes we have to amputate. But, you know, God willing, please, let's work toward saving this marriage. Don't be the person who quick, quibbly, quickly, glibly advises toward divorce. And then finally, do not enter into marriage lightly or unadvisedly. Uh, you know, in other words, this is for keeps. It's really, really difficult. It's really amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, you know, and, but don't enter into it 
unadvisedly. And I go to, uh, back to the Anglicans today, uh, actually the Episcopal version of it, the, the Book of Common Prayer from 1979 is my favorite wedding um, service. And this is a quote from the marriage service. It says, the union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind is intended by God for their mutual joy. You know, that's, that's the first intention. Notice in, in this passage, Jesus didn't say anything about children. I'm all about children. I think you should have children. But that's not the, the ultimate intent of a marriage. Like we quit, we're quit married once we uh, raised our kids or, or maybe we didn't have any kids so therefore it's easier to divorce. No. Notice Jesus didn't, there's some really good arguments about children and divorce. There really are, right? But he didn't go there at all. It's very universally applicable. Uh, it, it's intended by God for their mutual joy, for help and comfort given one another in prosperity and adversity, and when it is God's will, for the procreation of children and their nurture in the knowledge and love of the Lord. Could, could we just have a little rise up amongst the laity and say to our pastors, please, in a Christian marriage of, of young people, of possible bearing age, could you please mention that maybe part of the purpose for their marriage is to have children? I've been to so many Christian weddings where it's like anathema to talk about this. I don't have you. I don't, you're probably not as sensitive to me as I am. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, and then, But here's the big therefore. This is what I, I'm reading this whole quote for, and you're all on, on the edge of your seat to hear this. Therefore, marriage is not to be entered into unadvisedly. Like, I don't see how this marriage is going to work. You know, this doesn't seem like it's going to work. You really got to sit on this and think this through a little bit better. That's entering into unadvisedly or lightly, but reverently, deliberately, and in accordance with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. Hast thou not seen? That God has granted what you need and desire in what he has ordained. Father, thank you for this word from Jesus. We pray that we would apply it graciously and lovingly and thoughtfully in our lives and in the lives of those people we love and for those in this room who are not married but desire to be so and some of them are very young. Lord, we pray, O oh Father, that you will guide them to the right spouse and that they will be married advisedly and in a heavy, purposeful manner to be a, a foundation stone in our decaying society, O oh Lord God. And those of us who are our marriage, strengthen our marriages today. Lord, help us to love and learn to love. For those that are not practicing intimacy in their marriage, I pray that they will repent and, and start to come back together in this way that you have commanded in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In the name of Jesus, amen.